0: If you would remain standing for the reading of God's word, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We will continue our study of verse by verse to the Gospel of Matthew. And this morning we will be in verses 31 and 32, but I'll begin reading in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 27. Matthew 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Praise God for his holy word. Please be seated. Historical and biblical Christianity is a result of God's grace inwardly changing a person from the inside out. When the good news of Jesus Christ is preached and God's saving grace is extended to those who were predestined before the foundation of the world, salvation occurs. Now Christ has already come. And we are eagerly waiting for His return. But let us remember, He will save His people from their sins. This is a promise that we find in Matthew 1, verse 21. This means... The means by which people are saved is the preaching of the gospel. But when salvation rests on a soul, it is all of God. This brings great comfort to me as a Christian. Because someone's salvation is not dependent upon me getting something right. It depends on me being faithful to proclaim the gospel and God saves whom he wills when he wills for his glory. God's grace saves sinners and only his grace. He awakens the dead soul by giving them the faith to believe in Jesus Christ. This redeemed soul will repent of their sins and sanctification will occur. They will bear fruit for the glory of God. Salvation is not a work of man. And yet issues that we see in the New Testament over and over again are issues that we see today over and over again. We don't clean ourselves up. We don't work our way to God. We cannot earn our own salvation. If left alone, without God at work, a soul will remain spiritually dead. Something I have cherished over and over again in my continual walk with the Lord is that God is sovereign over all things, and that means that God is sovereign over salvation. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings great clarity to his Old Testament commands that has been watered down by the scribes and Pharisees. And on many fronts, they still remain watered down today. With each passing year, men and women not only teach different gospels, ignore the commands that God has given to his image bearers, but they also create a God that does not exist in their own minds a god that is weak and waiting for sinners to turn if if only humanity would do what is right a god who sovereignly whose sovereignty ends when god's sovereignty butts up against man and that is wrong A salvation that is preached as a self-help, a one-time decision that ends in nothing more than a behavior-modified person who remains hell-bound, only having the appearance of a Christian with no real heart change, that is not salvation. Over and over again, in this amazing sermon that Christ preaches, Christ teaches us that he looks at the heart. And last time I have checked, there is none of us who knows each other's hearts. That is all of God. The outward appearance is not the story. The heart is a story. And God knows the story of every soul. Today we look at the third of six You have heard, but I say to you statements. It is wonderful for us that we hear so much of what the world says. We must stop and listen. What has Jesus said? Jesus has taught on murder, on anger, on lust, and adultery. And now he teaches on marriage and divorce. We have looked at commandment number six, do not murder. We have looked at commandment number seven, do not commit adultery. We continue to look at commandment seven while touching on commandment 10, do not covet. Mankind has justified murder, justified adultery, and they have reworked and redefined marriage to suit their own passions. So, As we approach this text, I want you to listen and apply Paul's words to Timothy, found in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, very carefully. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. need to hear, know, and live according to what God has said, and this includes marriage. And so our time this morning is going to be divided into four main points. Point number one, God's purpose of marriage. God's purpose of marriage. Point two, mankind's rebellion and redesigning marriage. Mankind's rebellion and redesigning marriage. Point three, marriage and sexual immorality. Marriage and sexual immorality. And point four, marriage and forgiveness. Marriage and forgiveness. So let's look at point one, God's purpose in marriage. Look at our main text, Matthew five thirty-one. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. We've already been confronted with the truth that this life is not about us in this sermon. Over and over and over again, you see the disciples, they are sitting at the feet of Christ on this mountain. Christ is teaching them, and over and over again, they're hearing, it's not about you, it's about the Lord. And now this truth is made even more clear concerning that of marriage If we are to have a biblical understanding of marriage, we must look at what God has breathed and not at what man has said and does. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Let's go back to the beginning and we're going to be turning a lot this morning. Genesis 2, beginning in verse 18. Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. Amen to that. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, the ground of the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called, every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man, and while he slept, took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, They shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So it's not good that man should be alone, so God made a helper fit for the man, and that helper was woman. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and holds fast to his wife. You see, marriage is God's design, and marriage, in the eyes of God, is one man and one woman. There are no exceptions. This is God's design for marriage, and yet sin happens. And here are the results. Genesis 3, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be against your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I command you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So Adam, man's first federal head, failed, and the result was that humanity failed. Sin entered the world, and all of creation felt the curse of sin, Since the fall, we know that we have all been conceived in sin, born separated from God. Psalm 51, verse 5. Sin damaged everything, including that of marriage. The wife's desire shall be against her husband, but the husband shall rule over her. For the husband, because he listened to his wife, now, men, don't take that as like, you should never listen to your wife. But Adam was there, Hearing the commands of God, Adam knew what the commands of God were. He chose to ignore the commands for the command of someone else. And because Adam did not listen to the Lord, the ground was cursed. The fall has scarred all of life, including that of marriage. So if we are to submit to God's design for marriage, we must listen and follow what God has said, ignoring the foolish voices that we hear. You've heard me say many times again, the person who speaks to you the most is you. The question is, who or what are you listening to? So from Genesis, jump to Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, verse 22, we find this famous passage concerning that of marriage and the church. In Ephesians 5, verse 22, we find wives Submit to your own husbands as the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and as himself its Savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. If you see, even in Ephesians 5, we find what was said in Genesis has not gone away. The church is to submit to Christ for he is the head. Wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife. Husbands are to love their wives sacrificially. They are to give themselves up for her just as Christ gave himself for his bride, the church. Husband, focus on your wife's sanctification. Lead her. Husband, wash your wife in the word of God. Husband, love your wife as your own body for you're loving yourself. Two, become one. Provide for her. Protect her. Wife, submit to your husband. The role of the wife is to be a helpmate. She is to lovingly and willingly submit to her husband in obedience to the Lord. This submission is acceptance of her husband's care and leadership. It says, respect your husband, admire his role, have reverence and fear for his position as head of the home, as you are his helpmate. This is God's design for marriage. I've been often terrified of the fact that one day I will not only stand before the Lord and give an account, but I also imagine that I will stand before the Lord and it is my job to hear well done, good and faithful servant, not only for me, but for my wife but I was to point her to Christ. That is God's design for marriage. In the body of Christ, each member has its role. We are to have reverence and fear for his position as head of the home. Each member has its role, and in marriage it is the same thing. The husband and wife have their distinct roles as they submit to Christ. You know, we live in a society that doesn't know the Lord, and this includes many churches who have abandoned God's word. Our culture and neighbors, they're confused about their roles. They're confused about their sexual identity, the purpose of life. They are confused about the meaning of marriage. And as God's children who believe in the inerrant, infallible, and sufficient word of God, we must remain fixed on what God has breathed for our understanding of this life, how we are to live, and this includes our marriage. Over and over again, I still remember doing premarital counseling with my wife. I will not forget, we came in one time, and Amy and I were... In a argument, I know that y'all don't have arguments in your life, but we did. And we were in the middle of an argument, and the pastor showed up late to the premarital counseling, and the first thing out of his mouth was, how are you doing? I was like, oh, we're good if you would have been here on time. And he could immediately tell that we were at odds with one another. And so the first thing he did, which I did not like, but I actually have done this now, uh, he's like, okay, you two sit in your chairs, face one another. Uh, I don't know about that. Face one another, scoot in, knees touch, okay? Grab hands, okay? Now work it out. It was a great time. And as God's people, you and I need to sit at the feet of Christ, come before Christ, listen to what he has declared to us, and live. That's what we do. The world may do their thing. Society may do their thing. They may be focusing on everything else, but we are children of the Lord. As God's children, we believe in the inerrant infallible, sufficient word of God. We are to remain fixed on what God has said. Listen to these words out of Matthew 19. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee, he entered the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan, large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So God's design for marriage from the beginning, from the get-go, is death to us part. A lifelong marriage of being devoted to one another. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Marriage is not just physical oneness, it is also spiritual oneness. The husband and wife are no longer two but one. John MacArthur said it well. In marriage, God brings a husband and wife together in a unique physical and spiritual bond that reaches to the very depths of their soul. You see, marriage is God's design. One man and one woman until death do us part. They are no longer two but one flesh, and together they are to please the Lord by following his words. You see, when we as God's people, we don't follow the Word of God, do you not think that has implications not just on the local church, but on the neighborhoods and societies and the state in which you live? Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality." Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Earlier in the baptism, you heard Spencer identify with Christ that he has been born again, that the Spirit of God has come into him as an individual, and now he belongs to the Lord. So, if in moving forward with our lives, if you belong to Christ, there are things in this life in which you cannot do because you belong to the Lord. Amen. They may, you cannot. Marriage is about holiness. It is about God's glory. Marriage is about pleasing the Lord. It is not about our happiness. And I'm not saying that you're not going to be happy in marriage. I love my wife and I'm happy in the marriage that I have, which the Lord predestined before the foundation of the world. But if we are to live a life that pleases the Lord, we must walk according to what God has said. That's God's purpose of marriage. Now, look, now let's look at point number two, mankind's rebellion and redesigning marriage. Matthew 5, 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So men and women have made marriage about their own personal glory. And if you're a man in this room, if you're a woman in this room and you're married, you've failed and you've done this. You've had an argument where you, the goal of the argument was not the glory of God. The goal of the argument was, I'm going to win. I'm going to get this. But Jesus, the Son of God, knows why he created marriage and he knows what marriage has become. Sin has changed marriage. And looking at the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24, we find the words concerning a certificate of divorce, beginning in verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her... If then she finds no favor in the eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of the house and if she goes, becomes another man's wife and the later man hates her and writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife than her former husband who sent her away? may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. You know, these words were used wrongly by the scribes and the Pharisees. They are not words that allow for a certificate of divorce to be given whenever a husband no longer wants to be married. These words were written so that all would understand the destruction and defilement of divorce. These words in Deuteronomy consist of a series of conditional clauses. If she finds, if she goes, if he gives, if the man. In the words of John Stott, the thrust of this passage is to prohibit the remarriage of one's own divorced partner. These words in Deuteronomy are not words that command or require divorce. Divorce. The Jewish law required divorce if adultery occurred within a marriage, but God does not require divorce. The words of God do not give the all clear to divorce for anything that displeases you as a husband or wife. We must not follow in the footsteps of the scribes and Pharisees and say, oh, Moses gave a certificate of divorce, therefore it's okay to do as we see fit in our own eyes. It was not so from the beginning. A woman who received a certificate of divorce gave the woman the legal right to get remarried if her husband sent her away. The certificate provided protection for the woman. The words in Deuteronomy 24, may not take her again to be his wife, also caused men to slow down and think before they issued a certificate. It caused them, as the word of God was being read and they were gathered together, may not take her again to be his wife. Said, you know what? I'm, we may be going through a difficult time, but I should not do this. I say with great sadness that even in the first century, divorce was a normal reality just as it is today. Just because something is normal does not mean that the church is to accept what God does not. God created marriage, but a certificate of divorce was created by man. This is why we must know the word of God, not just the words of what men and women have spoken. Matthew 5, verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce, but I say to you. You know, the Lord does not accept or agree to an easy whatever-you-want divorce. Going back to the Old Testament, Malachi 2. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, Why does he not? Because the Lord has witnessed between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. So marriage is a covenant according to these words, and God hates divorce. All unwarranted divorces, they are sinful. Our marriages are not to be faithless, they are to be faithful. You know, today divorce has become easier and easier to obtain, even being called a no-fault divorce in the court of law. Let's just ignore all sin together. And in fact, that's what we've done as a culture, and we've ignored God. The words, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate, have been ignored and forgotten, not only by the culture, but by the churches. That mankind has rebelled against God and redesigned marriage. Now marriage has been tainted by sin and becomes something that it was never meant to be. Marriage was designed by God and exists for his glory. Marriage was meant to be about holiness. Marriage was designed to be till death to his part for one man and one woman, but by the hardness of hearts has led to mankind rebelling, redesigning marriage, ignoring God, the creator of marriage. Much of what a marriage is to be has been lost, and much of what has been reserved by God for husband and wife only has been accepted as normal living outside of marriage. I love the words of R.C. Sproul. If people grant divorces where God does not, then the couple is still married in the sight of God. Therefore, remarriage of illegitimately divorced people constitutes entering into an adulterous relationship. You see, God views marriage according to his grand design. He does not see what mankind has made it and says, oh, that's it. How we view marriage does not matter. What matters is God's view, and we are to abide by it as creatures made in his image. Let me read the first two articles of the Nashville Statement on Biblical Sexuality, which we affirm as members of this church. We affirm that God has designed marriage to be a covenantal, sexual, procreative, lifelong union of one man and one woman as husband and wife and is meant to signify the covenant love between Christ and his bride, the church. We deny that God has designed marriage to be a homosexual, polygamous, or polyamorous relationship. We also deny that marriage is a mere human contract rather than a covenant made before God. We affirm that God's revealed will for his people is chastity outside of marriage and fidelity within marriage. We deny that any affections, desires, or commitments ever justify sexual intercourse before or outside marriage, nor do they justify any form of sexual immorality. You see, God has created marriage, and we are not allowed to take what he has created and change it because it better suits our feelings and our acceptance of our own sins. We are to serve the Lord. God created us for his glory. God created us to image him. God created marriage, and he defines marriage. And as his creatures, we are to obey what he has spoken. We have looked at God's purpose of marriage, mankind's rebellion and redesigning marriage. Now let's look at point number three, marriage and sexual immorality. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The words that follow, but I say to you, are to be words that we obey and live by. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So God's design for marriage has not changed since the beginning. It is the same exact thing, same exact purpose. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 6, They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, declares that divorce is recognized in his eyes in the case of sexual immorality. However, just because the Lord recognizes it does not mean that it should take place. So let me define sexual immorality or unchastity so we understand what is being said here. To have unlawful or illicit sexual acts with anyone other than one's marriage partner. thats some act of physical, sexual immorality. The Greek word here is pornea. That's where we get pornography from in our language. It includes adultery, fornification, and unnatural vices. So the married man is not to have intercourse with anyone other than his wife. The married woman is not to have intercourse with anyone other than her husband. Any unlawful intercourse that occurs is to be found guilty of sexual immorality before the Lord. So God's plan for marriage is a lifelong marriage till so death do us part without any sexual immorality. In Matthew 5, Jesus does not command divorce. The other words we have received concerning Separation revolve around 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It says to the married, I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried, or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, Now, this is an extremely loaded passage, and for clarity's sake, let me say a few things. Number one, the unbelieving husband or wife is not saved because of the believing spouse. Otherwise, they would not be called an unbelieving partner. One Christian in the marriage does bring grace to that home, but it does not bring saving grace to the spouse. Number two, if the unbeliever separates or divorce, the believer is no longer bound to that marriage. But that does not mean as a believer that you seek it. God is clear about his purpose of marriage. We have words in which we are called to live by concerning marriage. And that means we must know the word and abide in the word. As a youth pastor for many years, one thing I kept going back to over and over again, besides teaching the scriptures verse by verse, was saying we must know what we believe as Christians and why we believe what we believe. Otherwise, over a period of time, what we believe, if not grounded in the word of God, we will begin to sound like the culture. So to the unmarried in this room who desire to be married, I encourage you to have discussions with a prospective prospective spouse around what God has said concerning marriage. In fact, it would be foolish not to. There are great books about marriage. Read them. But to quote Spurgeon, live in the Bible. Open up your scriptures. Turn to where it talks about marriage. Go back to the beginning in Genesis. Look at the purpose of marriage or why we do what we do. Look at every single word that God has said about what a marriage is. Evaluate that. Pray about that. If you don't glorify God more by being together, don't get married. To the married in this room, your marriage needs to remain a great priority. I don't care how long you've been married. The longer we're in this world, the more that we see that is sinful in this world. Don't think that you have it all together and you're a professional and you can close your Bible and just walk your way to the Lord pleasing Him without looking at what God has said. Read the Word. Read and discuss books together. Open up a great book on marriage and ask the hard questions. You both need a great walk with God. You both need to have a godly marriage Because if you don't have those two things, you will not be great parents serving the Lord. That's how it begins. You and your walk with God, you and your spouse, and then you have parents. If you ignore your marriage, you're going to be teaching a lot of things to your children. Jesus does not command divorce here in Matthew 5. Divorce is not required. God hates adultery. But when unchastity is taking place in a marriage and divorce occurs, the Lord recognizes this as a lawful divorce. But please remember, God's design for marriage is one man and one woman till death do us part. So we discussed God's purpose of marriage, mankind's rebellion in redesigning marriage, marriage and sexual immorality. Let us look like at point number four, marriage and forgiveness. It was also said, whoever divorces wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. One sinner marries another sinner. You're going to have problems. What did you expect? I mean, that is going to take place. The one sinner in a room by themselves have enough issues as it is. You put another sinner in there, you're going to have issues. I mean, that's the reality of how we live in a fallen world. But both husband and wife need to remember that marriage is not about them, it is about the Lord. I mean, our marriage is to display the gospel Marriage is not an intimate relationship in which we decide, you know what, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this person, so I am going to forgive them less and expect way more out of them. No, marriage is an intimate relationship in which we display the gospel, which means we forgive more. That's what we do in a marriage. It's to be a great display of the gospel. And if our marriage doesn't display the gospel, you can do family worship all you want, but they're seeing two different coins here the world and Christ. Which is it? Like both of them are to display Christ. We connect in Matthew 5, we go backwards to the Beatitudes. Looking back, the poor in spirit, they acknowledge your need for mercy and they show mercy to others. They mourn their sin because they are the pure in heart. The meek, they serve as peacemakers. This is for all relationships, including the marriage relationship. Many are so quick to divorce, but as God's children, we should be slow to anger and quick to forgive. The majority of the time when I'm in counseling sessions for marriage, people have already made up their mind. What they're looking for is I need a pastor to tell me it's okay for me to be done. Marriage was meant for us to forgive, to display the gospel because God's design for marriage is one man and one woman till death do us part but our culture doesn't help it. Daniel Dornay describes a culture. It says, Western society is no friend of sexual purity. Society assumes that young adults are sexually active and expects fornication and cohabitation. It aims not to promote sexual purity, but to control the results of impurity. That God's children are called to live holy and sexually pure lives. That in a marriage, we are to display the gospel of forgiving 70 times 7, and as Buzz Lightyear would say, and beyond. We don't keep a record and track of saying, that's how it is, I've reached my limit, I'm done. Loving our husband or wife unconditionally, keeping no record of wrong, that displays the gospel. Not focusing on what we are owed, but focusing on doing what we have been commanded by God to do as a husband and a wife. That if I'm so concerned about what my wife is not doing, then I've probably lost the ability to follow what I am to be doing. We are to please God with the roles that he has assigned to us. And these roles, they are not degrading roles. That is what God created a husband and a wife to do within the confines of marriage. So we serve the other spouse for the glory of God. As peacemakers, we seek reconciliation in the marriage, longing to please the Lord. And what he has put together, let not us separate. So as the children of God, it is good for us to remember who the Lord is. We are reminded of who the Lord is in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers and the children, the children, children to the third and the fourth generation. So marriage involves a great deal of forgiveness. Marriage is about the Lord. It is a grand picture of the gospel. God hates divorce. The sin of lust leads to adultery. And adultery leads to divorce. And all sin leads to death. How grand it would be if when you and I are being tempted, we are constantly reminded in our mind, sin brings death. But God looks at the heart and the purpose is to glorify him in all things. Our marriage is to glorify the Lord. So I have a simple question for all of us this morning. Are you following God's word in your marriage? I'm not talking about the thousands of books that have been written on what marriage is. I'm not asking what your love language is. I am not discussing her personality and your personality and who wears the pants in the relationship. I'm asking as a Christian, do you know what God's word says concerning marriage and are you following it? And maybe you're like, well, I don't have it all figured out. Great, I don't have it all figured out either. But we should be in the process of understanding God's word more together as a church, as Christians, as individuals, so that we will please the Lord all the more in our marriage. Let me just give you an example. I've been married for 18 years. 18 wonderful years with Amy. I look back when the Lord put us together and I look back at that, and I'm like, I cannot believe the Lord has been so gracious for 18 years. I look back at what I knew concerning marriage, and I, I'm like, I, I cannot believe we've made it. It's only by God's grace. Like, I cannot believe the Lord has done this. But in, in that 18 years, I can see how the Lord is maturing and growing but I haven't reached a point yet to where I say I have it all figured out and I don't need brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage me and spur me on or to ask me questions. There's always times of conversation where I need to sit down with my wife, talk about the scriptures, pray the scriptures, pray with her, pray for her, pray over her, and have times of growing together as husband and wife. We have a view in our society too that once you get married, it's only those who go to marriage retreats, it's only them who have issues. I've even seen this in my family. Wait, wait, y'all are going to a marriage retreat? Well, what's going on? I, re- I respond by actually saying, You're not going to a marriage retreat? What's wrong? Like, we should never get through learning more about the Lord and what he has breathed out. God hates divorce because marriage is about the Lord. The sins of accepting lust, that leads to adultery. And adultery leads to divorce. And all sin, that leads to death. We're to glorify the Lord with our marriage. Are you following God's word in your marriage? Because as Christians, what following God's word in our marriage means that you and I come before the Lord, we agree with what God has said, and we submit our life to it and live by it. There is a submission here. We don't just overlook it and be like, well, Lord, that, that's wonderful. Thank you. No, we keep it open. I'm going to follow it, Lord. Help me to follow it. Help me to keep it. Help me to understand it more for your name and for your glory. Because just like everything in our relationships, all of our relationships, all of this life, the chief end of man, which means marriage's chief end is to glorify God. So are you following the word of God for your marriage? Don't ever let your guard down thinking that you have it all together no matter how long you have been married. Our life is but a vapor. We're here one second and we're gone the next. Glorify the Lord with the time that you have. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your holy word which you have breathed out and preserved for us as your children to know. Lord, we need wisdom found in what you have breathed. Help us to apply your word for your name and for your glory. Lord, for the marriages in this room, strengthen them. Help us to understand our roles as husband and wife and how we are to live. May we abide in your word and be your disciples, knowing the truth and living that truth. Strengthen the marriages, strengthen the husbands, and strengthen the wives, Lord. For those who are single, Lord, I pray right now, Lord, if, if you have not called them to celibacy, I pray for their spouse that they would be godly, that they would make wise decisions based upon your word and not this world. And all things may we seek to please you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray all these things. Amen.